Open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 23. We have been in a series in the book of Acts, and it's titled First Followers. It's titled First Followers because we have been learning from first followers of Jesus what it means to follow Jesus. It's been really exciting to look in, uh, really, uh, at at the church, the early church, those who embraced Jesus as Messiah, as rescuer, and those who were running hard, proclaiming the realities of his resurrection and letting that shape their lives. Got some questions for us this morning. What will you do when circumstances threaten to hijack what you believe is God's plan for your life? When you find yourself in the midst of crisis, wondering, okay, what's next? You're not at all sure how it's all going to play out. But you're there in in the midst of crisis. You're feeling it. In Acts chapters 23 and 24, the Apostle Paul is given comfort in the midst of crisis. And it's a comfort that doesn't give him all the answers to his every question. It's a comfort that doesn't promise convenience, but it is exactly what he needs in order to face his crisis with faith and courage. And so church, if there was ever a time that we needed to know this comfort, it's right now. If there was ever a time that we needed to know this comfort, this comfort that brings faith and courage to face crisis, it's right now. I don't know where you're at. I imagine a room this size, we've got a, a mix. But we can all admit that the last year and a half has been filled with crisis. And for some of us, those are, some of that has been really dark. Really dark. It might be dark right now. And so I've been praying for you all week long. I've been asking God to bring reassurance, to bring comfort, to bring a peace that passes understanding. That's able to get right into the crisis and give you faith and courage to keep going. Let's look at Acts chapter 23. We're actually going to begin in chapter 22, verse 30. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he uh, unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. So this is, this is the tribune. This is the military officer named Lysias, and he's bringing Paul uh, before the council to figure out what in the world is going on. And looking intently at the council, the Sanhedrin, this religious council made up of Pharisees and and, and Sadducees, Paul said, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope 
and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. We'll pause there. Father, we pray that through your word, by your spirit, you would bring comfort. That we would take courage, that we would find comfort in your word today. You know it's been my prayer, Lord, for those who are in a dark place, for those who find themselves in in a, a place of discouragement and despair fighting anxiety and fear, that, Lord, you would bring comfort. A comfort that doesn't ignore the circumstance, but a comfort that speaks to them in the midst of it and brings them the courage and faith they need to go through it. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, church, three things I pray we see. There is a lot more text that we're going to explore, but there's three things primarily in this story uh, that we find in Acts chapters 23 and 24. Um, and, And there are three things, comfort in the midst of crisis, second, faith in the midst of crisis, and third, courage in the midst of crisis. So first, comfort in the midst of crisis. I think it's important, though, to mention what happened before this text that we just read, and so previously on First Followers, no, um, (laughs) previously, James and the leaders of the Jerusalem church praised God because of Paul's report of what what God was doing through the proclamation of the gospel among the Gentile churches, those non-Jews. They also let Paul know uh, that many, though, had distorted Paul's preaching and teaching about Jesus there in Jerusalem. And so with the desire uh, to be culturally sensitive and mindful of misconceptions out there, James encouraged Paul to go to the temple and offer a special vow. This would be an act of humility, an expression of worship, a sign of gratitude to God, and something that would show that he does not despise the traditions of the Jews. Now, Paul didn't have to do this. Nothing could be added to the finished work of Jesus. But his hope was to pave the way for the good news about Jesus among the Jews there in Jerusalem. And so some Jews had seen Paul earlier in the day with a man named Trophimus. This was an Ephesian Gentile, a non-Jew. And they assumed Paul brought him into the temple. And so if you remember two weeks ago when Mark was preaching out of Acts chapter 21, they were, they were really freaking out because they, they thought that Paul was defiling the law of God by bringing a Gentile into the temple and He was defiling the temple itself. And so this mob forms, they drag Paul out, they shut the temple doors. They are are intending to kill Paul. 
until word reaches the Roman officer, the tribune in charge, and then he goes and he arrests Paul. He's about to have Paul flogged for questioning. He's trying to figure out what's going on here. And then Paul pulls out his Roman citizenship card. He's like, hey, before you carry that out, I'm a Roman citizen. And they all back away in fear because they can't do that to a Roman citizen. Then he's given opportunity to explain. But it really doesn't satisfy the tribune, the military officer. And so the military officer brings this Sanhedrin, this religious high court together of the Jews to figure out what in the world is going on. And that's, that's what we read about. Here he is. He wants to get to the bottom of what's happening. And he gathers the chief priests and the council together to meet. And this council is made up of, as I said, of, Sanhed- of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, two groups within Judaism. It's kind of like standing in the middle of a room of, uh, of, of, of Democrats and Republicans, which we have here, <laughs> um, but about to enter debate, like this fierce debate. You can feel the tension. We are not about to enter debate about <laughs> any of that. We've been good for like two and a half years. Let's keep it up, guys. Um, they, they, though, this, this council, they're on the same page about Paul until he speaks. Until he speaks. Did you hear what he said in verse six? Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, oh, he's about to stir things up. Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of, a, of Pharisees. And he was, he, he was a Pharisee. That was his heritage. His father, his grandfather before him, he studied to be a Pharisee. He knew the law. He defended the law. You remember, he was a persecutor of the people of the way, the people of Christ. Until he encountered the risen Christ. He said, it is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. He gets right to it. Paul knew the reason he stood on trial that day. He gets right to it. He knew the real reason the Jews wanted to kill him. He knew the real reason why they were gathered there. It was because of his hope in the resurrection of the dead and what that hope meant for both Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles. The resurrection of Jesus is the central issue of our faith. Always has been, always will be. It is the central issue of our faith. It's what causes us the most offense because if it happened, if the resurrection of Jesus happened, which we believe it did, it means Jesus deserves our full attention, doesn't he? But more than that, it means Jesus deserves our allegiance and our worship. And so this really stirs things up. The assembly was divided. The debate got violent. The tribune thought Paul might get torn to pieces. Imagine. And so he had to intervene, and he takes Paul to the barracks. So here we are, an exhausting scene, a painful scene. Remember now, Paul was just beat up previous to this, just outside the temple. It's an exhausting scene. It's a painful scene. I want us to imagine this, the thoughts that are just swirling around in Paul's head as he sits in the prison cell of the barracks. I wonder what he was thinking. What's next? Where's this going? Will I survive this? Will I fulfill the mission, the vision of going to Rome? Maybe you can relate. I think you probably can. 
When, when thoughts like, I sure didn't expect this. What in the world is going on now? Maybe you're discouraged today. You're really down. Maybe you feel alone and you're fearful of what's next in life. Maybe you've got a lot of questions swirling around in your head and in your heart. Paul was sitting in a dark cell of barracks wondering what was next. Maybe you feel that, that pretty much describes me, Darren. I want you to see what happened the following night. Verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood by him. The Lord stood by him and said, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Did Paul see Jesus? Did he sense, did he feel Jesus' presence? Is this a vision of some kind? Here's what it says. The Lord stood by him. Do you remember when this happened before? In Acts chapter 18, verse nine, when Paul had just entered the city of Corinth and he was all alone, he had no one beside him, and, and Jesus appeared to him in a vision and he said this, do not be afraid, Paul, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you. And so here again in a dark moment, Jesus brought encouragement and strength that Paul desperately needs. And I love what it says, the Lord stood by him. The Lord stood by him. I mean, we all know how important it is uh, when we're going through something uh, that we have a friend who can stand by us. We know how important presence is. They don't have to say anything. In fact, it's probably better if they don't say much at all just to know that they're near. Presence speaks. Presence speaks. But then Jesus said, take courage. Now this literally means be of good cheer. Be of good comfort. Be confident, be hopeful, be bold. Maintain a bold bearing. Yeah, right there in the middle of this cell within a barrack. Right here in the middle of false accusation. Right here in the middle of not, not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow Comfort and assurance in the midst of the craze. That's what Jesus brings to Paul. He was in the midst of craze, all right? He was almost torn to pieces. Jesus brings comfort and assurance to him in this dark place, literally. And so when you read this account, please, please do not think this is just the travel log of the Apostle Paul. It means nothing for us. It means nothing for me personally here in 2021. Please don't think that. Don't think that this is special treatment for Paul. One author puts it this way. Jesus is intimately concerned with the extension of his church, with the well-being of his church. And so, what does he do? He brings encouragement, direction, guidance, and counsel to Paul, who is about the mission and the business of Jesus's church. And so he is caring for Paul, and he's caring for the church through his care for Paul. 
And so as he brings encouragement, direction, guidance, and counsel in this dark place that Paul finds himself in, it's for Paul's sake, but it's also for the church's sake, which means, church, listen, which means ultimately it was for our sake. Because we stand in a long line of faithful brothers and sisters who have gone before us where the baton has been handed down generation after generation, and now we've got it. We've got the baton. It's reached us, this gospel This good news of Jesus and his resurrection, it's ours now. It was Paul's back in Acts 23 and 24, and he was discouraged. He was feeling it. And so the encouragement that Jesus brings Paul brought comfort to Paul and was a strength for the church and should be a strength to us even now because what we have there is not only this strength that has reached us, this encouragement, but it's, it's for us here and now as well because Jesus continues to bring this kind of encouragement to his, to his church, to his people. Listen to what Jesus says, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And so what, what Jesus is telling Paul is you will bear witness. Now this word witness, this word testified or testify, it, it, it's where we, we get the word martyr. Oh, great. You'll be a martyr. You will testify to the point. It might mean to the point of of your life ending, of you laying your life down. But he says, you will testify to the facts. I love that. To the facts about me. So you must testify. So what's happening here is reassurance is happening here. Comfort is being given. Courage is being imparted. You're going to Rome, Paul. You're going to Rome. Now, Jesus doesn't tell Paul how long it's going to take. He doesn't share the fact that Paul will remain in prison for the next two years. Might be helpful. Might be helpful to share that. Jesus doesn't share that. He doesn't mention the shipwreck that's coming Paul's way. (laughs) What are some ways that you have experienced the Lord standing by you? Where have you experienced his nearness in the midst of crisis? How many countless stories of Jesus' faithfulness and comfort are right here in this room? And they're stories we need to celebrate. They're stories we need to hold up high. That's why we do local stories. We're highlighting God's grace at work. He is present and he is at work and he is comforting his people. It's not something only for the pages of Acts. It's happening here and now. St. Petersburg, 2021. He's comforting his people. Where has he done that for you? Don't dismiss it. Celebrate it. Don't forget it. Lean on it. Hold on to it. Now you might say, sorry, Darren. I don't have any stories like that. Well, then will you allow, will you allow the story, the story, capital S, the story of God's love and grace through his son Jesus to comfort you in times of crisis? Will you allow the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the king who comes to conquer and rule and reign and deliver us from our enemies, will you allow the story of God's love and grace through his son to comfort you in times of crisis? Will you allow that story to comfort you? Jesus stepped into our greatest crisis. Jesus spoke powerful words, powerful words of comfort and assurance when he stepped into 
our greatest crisis, when he took on the stuff we're made of, when he stepped into space and time. What powerful words did Jesus speak? Oh, I could stand here all day and, 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 and we could celebrate the words that Jesus spoke. Ones like, come to me, all of you who are, are heavy, burdened, come to me and find rest. Or ones like, repent, repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. Or ones like, abide in me. Or ones like, I will be with you always to the end of the age. These are the powerful words that Jesus spoke when he stepped into our greatest crisis. And this is the story we have to hold on to. This is the story we have to celebrate. This is the story in which we can find courage and faith to move forward. It's the story of comfort and assurance. And it's one we can't move away from. Now, he brings comfort in other ways as we continue on in our life. But that story, oh, this is beyond subjective experience. This is objective reality. Jesus stepping in. The story of Jesus entering our greatest crisis is our greatest comfort in the midst of any crisis. You hear me? The story of Jesus entering our greatest crisis, taking on flesh, doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, is our greatest comfort in the midst of any crisis. Any anxiety, any fear, any pain, any, any affliction. Listen to what Jesus said, these words of comfort, these, this, these promises that he spoke. When he first launched into his public ministry, Jesus came proclaiming liberty to the captives. He came proclaiming sight to the blind. He came proclaiming liberty to the oppressed. Jesus' ministry was just filled with favor, grace, comfort, and rest. Are you falling on his words? Are you falling on his promises? Are you looking to that story to be an encouragement? Okay, so so often we want the crisis to stop. Like, hey, time out. Hey, Jesus, you're here in the barracks. Where's the exit? The angel did that for Peter, remember that? They prayed for Peter's deliverance and all the guards are asleep and the, the gates open. That didn't happen for Paul. Not this time. So often we want the crisis to stop. We want to get on with life. Once this crisis is over, then it's like smooth sailing. You and me, Jesus, we're going to like take the world. <laughs> what if our plans actually aren't being hijacked at all by the circumstances and the crisis we're facing? What if it's in the crisis that Jesus will grow us and stretch us and show himself faithful? Comfort in the midst of crisis. Second, faith in the midst of crisis. The very next day, the very next day after Jesus appears and stands by Paul, the very next day, over 40 Jews make an oath not to eat or drink until they kill Paul. They conspire with the, the chief priests and the elders uh, of the Jews, and Paul's nephew hears about it and, and goes and he tells Paul, because family and friends would take care of prisoners uh, during that time, they weren't getting a meal from, from the jail. So Friends and family would have to care for those who were in prison. And so Paul's nephew hears about this conspiracy, this plot to kill his uncle, 
And he goes and he tells Paul, and Paul's like, hey, tell this centurion, the centurion those, it tells the tribune and, and brings the boy to the tribune who just tells the whole story to the tribune. And so Jesus' promises the very next day are immediately put to the test. This promise to Paul that you will make it to Rome. Take courage. You will make it to Rome. You will testify about me in Rome. Immediately that promise is put to the test. Oh, that's just like the enemy. That's just like the deceiver. When, we're, when, when we hear the promises that are found in Scripture, when we hear the promises that are rooted in, in the cross of Christ, we're holding on to those, immediately those, those promises will be put to the test. So Paul needs to hold on to what Jesus said. He needs to hold on to it, believe it. And so will you. You need to hold on to I need to hold on to what Jesus has said because faith in the midst of crisis requires holding on to what Jesus said. And there is no time to leave what Jesus said floating around out there somewhere. Immediate application is called for. You think, man, why? Where do I go next? What do I do? It's just so heavy. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. There are moments where I feel like I'm just, I can't even, I'm treading water and I can't do it much longer. And I feel like there's nowhere to turn. It feels like just this, this funk, this fog just falling on me. Where do I look? And so often, the rescue, the grace, the comfort, it doesn't come from this, from this uh, truth that I've never heard before. It comes from the truth I've been standing on the whole time. Reminding myself of what is true in Christ Jesus. His love and his grace. When we hold on to what Jesus says, when we by faith look to him, we begin to see things differently. Circumstances of life, they start to feel a lot less random. Less accidental. Like Paul's nephew just happening to hear about this conspiracy, this coincidence of just finding out about the ambush. It's not mere coincidence. Jesus is working in and through the details of life. Even when there's a secret plot to take out your life, Jesus can work through it. I hope there's not a secret plot right now to take you out. The tribune, Lysias, this Roman officer, he readies 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen, and takes Paul to Caesarea in the middle of the night. He's not playing around. Caesarea was the seat of the local government. It was um, the, the place where uh, they would hold court and, and, and make decisions, judicial decisions. A letter was sent with Paul to the governor, to Governor Felix. And so the high priest and the elders, along with a, a hired attorney, uh, Tertullus, arrive in Caesarea to present their case before Governor Felix. So I'm telling you the story. We're not reading it. We're going to jump into uh, the story in a moment. But I want you to picture what's going on here. Now Paul is in Caesarea, and he is before the governor, Governor Felix, and he is waiting for his accusers to arrive. They arrive with a hired attorney, and they bring their accusations. They bring their case before the governor. And in, and in chapter 24, let's see what happens here. Chapter 24, beginning in verse 5, what do they say about Paul? What does this hired lawyer say about Paul? 
for we have found this man a plague. Hmm. That's mean. We have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. Okay, that's their, that's their case. I think we have it in summary. We don't have it in full. But we can, we can conclude, all right, their accusation is he's stirring up riots, he's a Christian ringleader, uh, he's profaning the temple. Now Paul answers in verse 10. When the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem and they did not find me dis uh, disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you uh, what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and, and written in the prophets. So he, he's saying, I uphold the Old Testament, is what he's saying, the scriptures. It's what they had. Having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So again, he's upholding uh, the fact that he is a Jew who embraces uh, the scriptures, uh, who believes in the hope of the resurrection. He's saying he believes ultimately that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament promises found in the law and the prophets. Jesus is their messianic hope. And this is what the religious leaders have issue with. He talks about the resurrection of the just and the unjust. In verse 22, basically, Felix is saying, when Lysias, when the tribune, when the military official gets here, I'll decide your case. It never happens. <laughs> Not that we know of. It was all so complicated for Governor Felix, all so political. Let Paul go and risk the Jews killing a Roman citizen, and that would scar Felix's reputation with Rome. Keep Paul in prison and risk ongoing un unrest and uh, protest in the area he governs. Well, that wouldn't look good on him either. So Felix keeps Paul in prison. And he was known to accept bribes and have disturbers of the peace immediately executed. He was not a liked uh, governor. He wasn't uh, appreciated by the people. He was a violent, egotistical ruler surrounded by controversy. He was rich, he was famous, he was powerful, and he had all the drama that usually goes with those three things. And so was Paul intimidated by Governor Felix? Was he tempted to soften the edges and hold back his message? No. Finally, we look at courage in the midst of crisis. Let's pick up in verse 24 of chapter 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed, he was afraid, and he said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. 
When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. What did Paul do in front of this rich, powerful man? He spoke about faith in Jesus. What did Paul do in front of the man with authority, the one who could release him from jail? Did he soften the edges? Did he hold back? No, he spoke about faith in Jesus. He reasoned about righteousness, what it means to be made right or to be justified, to be accepted before a holy God. He reasoned about self-control, which was a popular topic in that day. But this is a work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. This self-control, this laying down of your life and, and looking to Christ. He spoke about coming judgment. In other words, all of this, Felix, all of this is going somewhere and fast. There is a day where he will judge all men. What's he doing here? What's Paul doing? He's, in, he's intending to help Felix and Drusilla recognize their guilt before God. He's pointing to their need for forgiveness that only comes through Jesus. Here's what Felix does. He kept calling Paul back and then sending him away. Oh, come back. No, go away. Come back. Go away. Come back again. Go away. Kind of a cat and mouse game here. All right, sure, Felix wanted money, hoping for a bribe. It highlights how crooked he was. But he kept hearing about Jesus. And it got to the point where Scripture says he was alarmed. He was afraid. He was frightened. Why is Felix, this, this wealthy man with power, why is he afraid? He's the one in control, right? Because all of a sudden, it feels like Felix is on trial. All of a sudden, it feels like he's the one at a crossroads, and he is. All of a sudden, it feels like he's the one who's brought to a crisis point. Because if what Paul is saying is true about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment and about faith in Jesus, then this is extremely personal, and this is extremely inconvenient to govern a Felix. But isn't that the case for us? If what Paul is saying is true, then this is extremely personal and inconvenient. A reorientation is called for in our lives, a recentering around the person and work of Jesus because we are made right in Christ Jesus and we're to walk in self-control in the power and strength of the Holy Spirit and we're gonna face that coming judgment because of the work of Christ, we will come through that because he's been judged on our behalf. But this requires surrender, a reorientation, faith and repentance. And here's what he says to it, go away. Go away. When I have a more opportune time, a more convenient time, I will summon you. Not now. When it's more convenient. Are you doing this? Are you saying this? Maybe not with these words. Are you treating Jesus and his call on your life that way? This far and no more, Jesus. When it's a more convenient time, I'll, I'll let you have all of me. It's not, it doesn't work that way. You won't find a more convenient time. You can easily find another message, another belief system out there that's easier to accept. You, you can. 
Following Jesus isn't easy. It isn't convenient because it isn't on our terms. It's a call to surrender, and Felix is catching that. He gets that. As Paul testified to Felix, I wonder if Paul remembered the words of Jesus spoken to Paul in the midst of that barrack. Take courage. You will testify about me in Rome. Find comfort. Take courage. Two years? Verse 27. Two years? We read that devotionally over our coffee and we're like, two years, move on. Two years. Two years of Paul's life. What did, what did God do through Paul in those two years? What letters did he write to early churches? Some think that the book of Acts was penned by Luke during this time or portions of it. What did God do in those two years? Two years in prison are not wasted on God. They're not wasted. The comfort that Jesus brings has no expiration date. It was spoken in the prison cell of the barracks, and for two years, for two long years, Paul could fall on what was spoken to him. These promises found in Jesus, there was no expiration date to that comfort. There is no expiration date to the comfort we have in Christ. If there was ever a time, church, that we need to know this comfort, it is now. It's a comfort that can bring faith and courage in the midst of crisis. It's a comfort that can help us to stand boldly in the midst of crisis and proclaim the truth about who Jesus is in the face of our accusers, in the face of those who think they have all the authority, in the face of those who misunderstand us and who are trying to get something else from us, we can stand with boldness and courage and we can hold on to the promises of Jesus and what he spoke and the truth of the gospel and the truth of his word. We can fall on that. We can lean on him. We know that he's near, that he's present, that he's with us and he, he gives us the strength to stand and endure and be a witness. And so if there was ever a time we needed to know this comfort, 2020, 2021, 2022, what's next? What's gonna happen next week? What's gonna happen in the news tomorrow? Whatever happens, he's with us. And it's a comfort that doesn't give us all the answers to our every question. It doesn't promise convenience, but it's exactly what we need in order to face whatever crisis comes our way tomorrow or in 10 years with faith and courage. We're gonna close with Acts 23, verse 11, ringing in our ears. The following night, the Lord stood by him and he said, take courage. Local church, St. Pete, take courage. He's near. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He promises to be with us. He goes before us. It's hard to see sometimes. We might not feel it. We need to hold on to promises. Move forward with faith and courage. Take courage. Take comfort. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for what we learned here in Acts chapters 23, 24 about the mission of the early church and what that means for our lives today. 
what you've been working from that point on, Lord, it's, it's, it's awesome. What you've been doing. Lord, you know it's been my prayer that you would comfort my friends here, that you would bring reassurance that they need. Well, Father, I pray that whether it's just this, this sweet assurance of your presence or whether it's a reminder of your love and grace, whether it's a reminder of the forgiveness they received through the cross, whether it's just a reminder that, Lord, you're not going to leave us or forsake us, or whether it's a reminder that if you are for us, who can be against us, or whether it's a reminder that, Lord, you bring comfort to those who are down, downcast. Whatever that reminder is, Lord, help us to hold on to it, these promises, these truths that we find.